0: Live from Northern California, it's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts.
1: Yes, indeed, and he's here to say good afternoon and welcome. Good to have you on board for this Tuesday edition for the 10th day of May. Trust you had a great weekend. We've got a lot to explore on tonight's program, a little bit later on, we're going to break down the constitutional ins and outs of the, uh, the leaked draft opinion in the Dodd decision. And while our conversation tonight will decisively not be about the rights or wrongs, it will be more focused on the constitutionality of the decision and, uh, and whether or not this is going to really be gearing up a battle royale given the fact that the court made a decision in one direction 49 years ago and now seems to be reversing itself. Is this because of discovery of new information, differences of opinions? We'll find out. We'll get to that conversation a bit later on in tonight's program. I want to lead off with a conversation related to a piece of news that we covered for you just about a week or two ago. Uh, pertaining to a decision related to the city of Boston, Massachusetts, that had come under fire because on so-called separation of church and state grounds, it denied a local Christian group the right to or the opportunity to fly the Christian flag above City Hall. And eventually it came back that, no, no, that's not an establishment of religion. It doesn't violate the Establishment Clause, and you can't discriminate against some groups while allowing others access to fly the flag. Well, on face value, that's always a good decision. The one thing that we need to always be prepared for, and that is that in the pluralistic society in which we reside, these sorts of decisions can quite often come with a bit of a yes, but, as this one certainly did. We get more on the story from constitutional lawyer, founder, and president of the Pacific Justice Institute, Brad Dacus. And, uh, Brad, you had to know it was only going to be a matter of time before some group, in this case here, I, I, I'm of the opinion doing it strictly because it's a keen publicity stuff, but you had to know that some group would come in and try to take advantage of the court's decision.
2: Oh well, that's correct. Uh, it's a, a satanic temple. Craig has uh, decided to uh, apply to have their flag put on display uh, during the, uh, you know, this, uh, satanic temple week, I guess it's in July, uh, uh, satanic appreciation week from July 23rd to 29th. Uh, at least that's what they've pronounced it, it to be. So uh, they're going to uh, request to have it on display. And I believe that based on the Supreme Court's decision that, we, uh, that Boston will uh, allow them to display uh, the flag that they choose. There's three different flags they're de- debating to choose. And, um, you know, it, it's, when you have uh, free speech for some, you have free speech for everyone. Now That's how our Constitution is written. Uh, but make no mistake, uh, you, know, you know, we've seen, like, satanic clubs start after— you know, we'll win court battles, allowing for Christian clubs on campus. These are often just uh, moves by people who don't believe in Satan. They don't believe in God. They're atheists, uh, usually. And they're doing these as stunts uh, to try to spook Christians uh, into, into thinking, oh, we, we need to make sure that, you know, Christians don't don't express themselves, because if we do, then a Satan group will express themselves. That's the logic, and it's not going to fly. And I think uh, most people of faith, most Americans right through it.
1: And that's a very important point that you make, that, you know, as I mentioned, we need to be prepared. We live in a pluralistic society, and so whenever the court comes in and protects a right for one group, there is the likelihood that that is going to encompass protecting that same right for all. That said, you can better believe that part of the intent here, we've seen this with the the on-campus Christian clubs, where there were challenges and... uh, districts were fearful that somehow it was violating the Constitution, they would get themselves in trouble, ban the Christian clubs, then then would come a group like Pacific Justice Institute that said, no, you can't do that, and uh, would get a judge to come along and reverse all of that and, and protect that right to be able to meet. And so... As a way, I think of, as you point out, sort of scaring people into thinking that, well, if they push, if I push for my rights and freedom, somebody else that I don't like could push for theirs too, and that makes things even more complicated, and therefore I'll just go away quietly, which I think is exactly what the intent here is, because largely, like when we saw this wave of of um, so-called Satanist clubs trying to crop up across the country following a similar um, equal access decision a few years ago. In some cases, in the matter of weeks or months, just as soon as they had appeared, they quickly disappeared because there was never an intent to want to provide a club for children that helped educate them on matters of, uh, of darkness, but rather they were just trying to get underneath somebody's skin. Do you think that's the case here?
2: Yeah I, I do believe that's probably what it is. Uh you know these groups uh, do have very liberal perspectives. Uh, there was a group in Scottsdale that had a uh a conference and one of their seminars was, you know, promoting abortion and spoke another seminars how to raise a child in a satanic home and you know things that were just uh deliberately I think uh attacking and provoking uh Christians people of faith uh, when we, when we, people see a satanic flag flying it's not really because the really generally that, that the person believes in satan or the you know the, those spirits it's usually just a a an attempt to cause Christians to panic to feel uncomfortable spooked and intimidated and and out of fear not displaying uh or sharing their faith in reality the christian church um has had no problem with you know other gods uh, you know, Paul went and, into, uh, and he preached, and the you know the Artemis Temple, there's no longer worshipers there. We Christians only, only in the early church, they advocated for an even playing field. Just give us an even playing field, and the gospel and the truth will win and liberate. And we need to remember that, even when we see stuff like this, it doesn't hold back the light and the truth amidst the darkness, no matter how much darkness is
1: attempted. So again, we really have to treat this with a sense of, They're being provocative on purpose. They're doing something that they know will potentially get a rise that will have a chilling effect on other church organizations or believers in the future of making a request wanting the Christian flag to Fly above City Hall, and they will make the erroneous connection that well, if mine, therefore, everyone's, and I'm so fearful of the other guys going up that I won't request mine at all. And and maybe part of the message here, uh, to Brad, for the benefit of believers, is that uh, God is capable of defending Himself, and uh, you know the the truth of the gospel has uh, existed alongside false teaching, false messages for over two thousand years and has managed to survive and we shouldn't allow ourselves um, to be intimidated nor should we allow ourselves to be driven underground just because somebody tries to use a fear and intimidation factor in order to try and silence us would you agree counselor
2: oh absolutely and if anyone has any questions or doubts on it they should contact us at pacific justice institute Uh, we're committed to empowering churches and ministries to have their voice heard over
1: the darkness. All right. Well, we appreciate so much the update on that. And uh, there is Brad Dakis, founder and president of the Pacific Justice Institute. And as Brad mentions, uh, you may run into a similar situation like this with your son or daughter at school. Maybe it's a case where they're asked to write on, uh, write a paper on someone that's their life hero. And the teacher's hoping that that will come back as individuals like uh Superman and <laughs> any of the DC or Marvel Comics heroes write, and instead your son or daughter decides to write about Jesus, and back comes the repl- reply from the teacher. No, you can't do that because of separation of church and state. Well, that's an opportunity to make it an educational moment for that teacher, and if they fail and do not get a passing grade, then that's when you pick up the phone and contact the Pacific Justice Institute for a little bit of help. They do all of their work on behalf of uh, individuals, pro bono, that means without cost. It's the last time you heard attorneys say, I'll work for you and I won't charge you. That's a little rare, but that's exactly what they do at the Pacific Justice Institute. So they're there uh, on the ready, standing by for you. And, of course, uh, they need your support to uh, to exist and survive and continue what they're doing. So check them out online at pacificjustice.org. That's pacificjustice.org. And uh, if you ever have a situation where you're concerned about your rights as a person of faith may be trampled upon, then uh, having them on speed dial, probably a good idea. Our thanks to the founder and president of the Pacific Justice Institute, Brad Dakis, for that update. Coming up on 515 from KFAX.
0: And now back to Lifeline with Craig
1: Roberts. All right. Well, as you are undoubtedly aware, unless you've been on another planet (laughs) for the last week or so, publication of a leaked draft of the Dodds decision has turned the Internet upside down in the past few days. Rampant speculation over who the leaker was. Whether or not the decision is final and what will happen next, especially if early term abortion once again becomes a policy issue for states to decide rather than an upheld right by the Supreme Court. Undoubtedly, much of this is going to be great fodder for the midterm elections. Our conversation tonight, though, we're going to not focus so much on the morality of the decision in one way or another, but rather where this decision, based on what we know, and I say that because this is not final by the court, could the decision change? Maybe. Will it? Probably not likely. But nevertheless, I think what's valuable here is to dive in and try to understand how the court arrived at this decision and what's changed from upholding this as a quote-unquote right in 1973 to striking it down 20, I'm sorry, 49 years later, is the court of today saying that the court in 1973 got it wrong? Let's find out. Joining me now is a constitutional historian, lawyer, CPA, best-selling author, and host of the longest-running libertarian talk show in America today, Bob Zadek, host of the Bob Zadek Show, broadcast locally here in the San Francisco Bay region, Sunday mornings at 8 a.m., information on the web at bobzadek.com. Bob, this is a fascinating look into the operation of the court, judicial philosophy, and uh, an aspect of the Constitution related related to a so-called unenumerated rights and uh, what exactly those are and are not. First, let me get your overall sense. You know, a lot of people are trying to wring their hands over who leaked it, why it was leaked, how it was leaked. I think at the end of the day, that is not as um, compelling or material, quite frankly, as how the court arrived at this decision, essentially reversing itself five decades later
3: well thank you first of all for having me on the show i always appreciate the opportunity to spend an evening part of an evening with you it's the highlight of my week so thank you so much uh, also thank you for um you pointing out that we are not going to be discussing the who done it who might have leaked it what was the political motivation how did it happen uh, i I wouldn't engage in such a thing, because I don't know, and I don't really care. Um, it, to me, uh, uh, the Constitution, uh, the policy issues are important, and all the stuff that goes on otherwise elsewhere in this case, I don't care. Also, what other comment, if I may. You said, um, in, in teeing up the issue for your audience, you said we're not going to discuss the morality of the uh text of the draft opinion Um, and uh, of course we're not because opinions of any court including the supreme court maybe especially including the supreme court are not to be held up against the prism of morality the supreme court is deciding whether or not in this case whether or not certain behavior is protected is a protected right, which means the government cannot take it away from us, or whether it is an unprotected right or no right at all. So morality doesn't come into it, it's the Constitution. Um, so we are going to be discussing the important stuff, thanks to the way you've introduced the issue, not, in my opinion, the less important stuff. Now, you used a, a very important phrase. Um, you used unenumerated or enumerated rights, just to tee up the issue, because it's very important. We, the rights that we hold, the rights this referenced in the Declaration of Independence, all men are endowed with certain unalienable or inalienable rights, which means we have rights that cannot be taken away from us. Uh, by government or elsewhere. Those are really important rights. So the Declaration teed up the issue. All men are endowed, and by men it meant people, are endowed with inalienable rights. Now, what rights are we endowed with? Well, the Declaration, of course, doesn't set them forth, because they were known to all Englishmen because they had had those rights for a very long time. And just to make it clear, uh, when the Constitution was ratified, some states, Virginia, New York, and a few others, agreed to vote for ratification, but only upon the promise by the founders, especially James Madison, that uh, who The the ratifiers were kind of afraid that the government, uh, that nowhere in the Constitution was the government prevented from taking away our freedom of speech, freedom of association. So Madison said, don't worry, Um, after you ratify the Constitution, when I'm in the House of Representatives or the new government will vote for a Bill of Rights, which will set forth that the government cannot take away these rights and the rights set forth we all know them we all have learned them um first amendment free speech freedom of association freedom of worship uh, the right to, to bear arms perhaps um the right to be confronted by one's accusers etc they are set forth in the bill of rights however however and those rights are enumerated. They're right there in the Bill of Rights. However, we have many, many rights that everybody knew we had, but they weren't listed. They, you can't list them. There are too many. For example, the right to freely travel, the right to raise your children as you wish. Everybody knows we have those rights. Nobody knows government cannot take them away, but they're not set forth. Well, they are preserved in the Ninth Amendment. To the bill of rights the ninth amendment says and i'll paraphrase it uh, the the fact that we have listed certain enumerated rights is not to suggest that those are the only ones we have there are it doesn't it doesn't suggest that there aren't other unenumerated rights okay so that's numerated and unenumerated rights the bill of rights reminds us we have lots others well, like which ones? Well, now we get to the right to privacy. There's no right to privacy. It truly isn't enumerated. But uh, through um, a chain of Supreme Court cases, um, most recently, well, somewhat recently, uh, uh, about 70 years ago, the Supreme Court decided a case called Griswold. Griswold was a case uh, which dealt with, uh, in Connecticut, there was a criminal statute that criminalized the selling of contraceptives even to married couples. And the Supreme Court struck down that as being unconstitutional, saying everybody had a marital right to privacy, a decision uh, to use contraceptives or not. And where did they find that right? They said it's in the penumbra of other rights. In other words, uh, I think it was Justice Douglas said, oh, yeah, it's there. It's in the penumbra. In other words, it's not there, but we all know it's kind of there. So that created a new unenumerated right, right? to privacy. Well, once you have the right to privacy in in the Griswold case, it was then that became the linchpin on which Roe versus Wade, Wade was decided, because privacy now it's created by the supreme court because they found it somewhere uh then the right to privacy became the linchpin by which um privacy was extended to mean uh, the right to do with one's body as one wishes which includes abortion thus we have griswold created privacy gave birth to no pun intended uh roe versus wade and thus we have uh A constitutionally protected right to abortion, because it's part of the right to privacy, which comes from the right to buy a contraceptive if you're married. If you're married, thus the right to have an abortion became constitutionally protected as yet another unenumerated right, um, indirectly referred to in the Ninth Amendment. That's how we got to Roe v. Wade. So that sets the stage for this conversation this morning. And now the Supreme Court may be having second thoughts about about the constitutional correctness of Roe v. Wade. And based upon that, second, that questioning, that whether or not either there, whether or not there's a right to privacy, or whether or not it captures it captures abortion, that's what the uh, the Dobbs case, which is the case for which the opinion was leaked, that sets the stage, Craig, for this evening's conversation.
1: One of the lingering questions, and I'll set this up for you to uh, come back to after the break. Bob, and that is that some are looking at this. And again, I want to be very clear and express for the benefit of the listeners that we are not debating the morality of this. I think for most of this audience, uh, the, the position on that is kind of a foregone conclusion. But what is fascinating to me is what changed. In other words, If it's the same Constitution and the same Bill of Rights, and clearly there's been little added to the Constitution in the 50 years since this decision was handed down in 1973, if that hasn't changed, and if information coming into the court from a circumstantial aspect related to law hasn't appreciably changed, then are we suggesting that the only difference between the decision handed down In 1973, which oddly enough, by the way, this 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 and this this may in in some respects kind of show my hand in terms of my, my concern of where I'm going with this. Did you know that when the decision was handed down in 1973, it was on a seven to two ruling and of the seven justices who voted in favor of it, fully five were Republicans or Republican appointees. Fast forward 50 years, and that's completely flipped, the seven to two aspect notwithstanding. So if it isn't the Constitution that has changed, the material facts being uh, decided upon have not changed, and maybe they have, Bab can I shed some light on that and the differences between Roe versus Wade, Doe v. Bolden, and the Casey case, uh, no pun intended, then the only major thing that's changed potentially are the justices, So is a different school of thought that has influenced a different outcome here? We'll talk about that as our discussion regarding the Dodd's decision, whether or not that changes. Watch the U.S. Supreme Court for more details between now and sometime in June, I suppose. 531 from KFAX.
0: And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. We are
1: discussing the leaked draft of the Dobbs opinion. And again, I want to emphasize that this could potentially change. This is not the final deal. But every indication is that it is authentic and may well likely be the opinion of the court. So while the court could yet, before it issues its final ruling, change its mind, um, one thing is certain. There seems to be a difference of opinion between the way... The High Court ruled on this issue back in January of 1973 in, in two separate but companion issues, Roe versus Wade, Doe versus Bolton. Um, what's changed? If there's nothing new added to the Constitution, is there some new piece of information we're not aware of? Or is it a change fundamentally in judicial view on such issues uh, related to not only... Matters of right to privacy, uh, due process, uh, but also the notion of the unenumerated rights that we spoke about a little bit earlier, um, that essentially holds that just because it isn't mentioned in the Constitution doesn't mean that it doesn't exist, but it seems to be at least traditionally held to history and tradition and so uh, let's get some deeper insights now as we continue our discussion with constitutional historian bob zadek on all of this and some are essentially trying to say and i think largely those that that uh, do not agree with uh, the potential ruling here by the high court that, well, somehow it's double-mindedness, that if nothing really dramatically has changed in the last 50 years, but those who sit on the court, then clearly the court is handing down decisions based more on personal opinion than uh, judicial precedents. What say you?
3: Well, uh, several things. First of all, understand that, um, of course, justices change. I mean, justices retire, pass away, um, and are replaced. So obviously, we have had, over our 240-odd years of being country, lots of changes in justices. I'm saying the obvious. Let's also remember that opinions change. In the 1840s, I believe, Justice 20, um in a despised opinion, uh, found that there was nothing improper or unconstitutional about slavery, and slaves were property, etc. Now, did did only justices change, or did the did the Supreme Court change its view toward slavery? Uh, lots of things, uh, various at various times. Uh, the death penalty was found to be unconstitutional as cruel and unusual punishment or sometimes it's found not it has been found not to be justices change and the times change so change per se is neither moral nor immoral it just is and as to why it changes it the reasons vary what's most important is that uh, the the public many in the public uh, when this opinion was first leaked were they were protesting they were um, attacking uh, and still are picketing at justice's home they were angry and they were angry their anger was focused the wrong at the wrong way the supreme court if Dobbs, the leaked opinion it all resembles the final opinion whatever when it's handed down probably next month it doesn't all that will say will be that the right to abortion is not protected by constitution which means the criminalization or not or semi-criminalization or limitation of access to abortion will be decided by the political process in the ballot box. And, and you can't look to the Constitution to uh, express your moral point of view. You have to persuade the legislature to adopt your morality uh, and the state legislatures, and that, not the federal legislature. Although Chuck Schumer is is going has introduced legislation to try to federalize the decision—a terrible decision—if if that if the legislature does that, because it'll simply now create anger once again and split the country in half, uh, or whatever the percentage is. Um, on an issue that is purely political. Lots of people aren't happy about laws that are passed, but that's the way it is. It's a law and it's passed democratically. So this is not, uh, we all have morality. And you use the phrase, Craig, we, let's not debate morality. You can't debate morality. Morality is personal. Whatever one's morality is, it's their conscience. And
1: there's
3: nothing to debate.
1: It just is what it is. And now let me interrupt, Bob. I'm curious. In your opinion, is is in a sense the high court making just such a statement? And, and I, I raise that question because, and I want to be clear for listeners, this decision, assuming that it stands, is not the court coming in and saying we are against abortion. We are in favor of life. It's not making any such proclamation whatsoever. It it instead is saying this is not our decision to make. This is up to the states. And so essentially it's saying, you know what, Um, let the states make the decision here. We don't want it to be a part of the high court's business. Is Is that in part what the court is saying here?
3: It's very much what the court is saying, and thank you for making that point so clear, because that's exactly what the court is saying. The court is not in the business of legislating morality other than perhaps one can say that principal rights guaranteed in the Constitution, like, for example, the right to a speedy trial and the right to be confronted by one's accusers, um, to some extent that may be in part morality, but it's in the Constitution, it's enshrined there, and the Supreme Court is not expressing a moral judgment per se, it is merely ex- enforcing and interpreting the principles set forth in the Constitution. And the Supreme Court has simply... If, if Dobbs becomes uh, voted for and becomes a majority opinion, all that has happened is the Supreme Court has said we question the reasoning in Griswold by which the Griswold Court found this right the this right to privacy to be applied in dogs, in this way. So the Supreme Court may be questioning, but probably not, the right to privacy. The draft opinion was... Alito's draft opinion was very clear. Alito said in the draft opinion, the fact that we find that there is no constitutionally protected right to an abortion doesn't mean that there isn't a right to privacy. They said, uh, Alito said, do not extend our decision here in Dobbs, if Dobbs becomes a majority opinion. Alito said, do not extend this for us to say, there is no right to privacy. We have no opinion on same-sex marriage, on right to contraception, all of the other privacy-driven Supreme Court decisions. They said this is only, only about the specific alleged right to an abortion. That is not protected under the right to privacy if such a right to privacy exists so they didn't want there's been a threat um the those who support a right to choose are saying as kind of a scare tactic hey if Dobbs stands it means we go backwards on same-sex marriage, we go backwards on contraception, and we go back to the Dark Ages. And the decision expressly, not by implication, expressly says, do not extend this beyond abortion. All we are ruling on is the right, the alleged constitutional right to an abortion, which was found to be an existing right, in Roe v. Wade. They were very specific, and it's a very narrow decision in that regard.
1: Bob Zadek, my guest tonight, we are working through the constitutional questions related to the publication of a leaf, leaked draft decision in the, the Dobbs case that um, seems to suggest that the High Court is going to overturn the foundation, the basis of which had been used in the 1973 decision that... Uh, let's be clear, didn't necessarily codify uh, abortion, but rather gave it cover. And now that cover is being removed uh, based largely on the fact that there was some uh, uh, well, quite frankly, I think uh, an erroneous application here uh, between the 14th Amendment's due process clause and uh, the the enumerated rights in relationship to the Ninth Amendment. So the big question then is if the high court is not making a moral decision, but rather purely a constitutional decision. Again, it's not stating that abortion is now illegal in the country. What it is stating is that every state gets to choose, just like every state gets to choose its legal marriage age. Every state gets to choose whether or not it recognizes uh, so-called right to work. Um, uh, or or, or union-related obligations. It's a patchwork quilt, but that's what you get when you have 50 independent states and the power flows largely from the bottom up. So what next? We'll talk about that as our conversation with Bob Zadek continues. By the way, if you'd like to get more information about Bob's show, he brings on opinion makers, newsmakers all the time, and you can check him out online at bobzadek.com. His show airs here in the San Francisco Bay region, many stations across the states, but specifically here in the Bay Area, Sunday mornings at 8 a.m. on our sister station, 860 a.m. The Answer. We invite you to tune in for that. We invite you to get more information about Bob and other resources on his website at b o b z a d e k B-O-B-Z-A-D-E-K.com. Time out, back with more as Lifeline continues.
0: And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts.
1: Back to our conversation, Bob Zadek with us today. Constitutional historian, CPA, host of the longest running libertarian talk show in the nation. And again, information available on the web at BobZadek.com. We're talking about the leaked draft related to the Dobbs opinion. Um, Again, the, the high court has been very careful to stipulate that this is not a final decision, when that's handed down, it will come down through official channels and not be passed, you know, <laughs> underneath the table uh, in the cover of darkness. Uh, aside from the, the change here, um, it really returns back to the states the fundamental power to regulate abortion, which many would argue is exactly where it should have been in the first place, um, this is going to create, as I suggested before the break, sort of a patchwork quilt amongst the states. Um, is there any kind of, um, you know, other than inconvenience, in, any inherent liability in that, in your opinion, Bob? Well, when you say
3: liability, um, I, perf- I have perf- intense support for decisions such as this, if this becomes final uh, of sending the decision, it's not really sending it back to the states. the states is where it belongs. The states have the have always supposed to have the police power police power doesn't just mean cops it means primary responsibility over the health welfare, and safety of citizens. That's a state job, a local job, rather than a federal job, because uh, different states have different sense of right and wrong, all constitutional, but therefore each state gets to decide for itself. Now, Craig, that is such a healthy way to resolve these issues, because when you have one size fits all these important decisions which of course, as you pointed out, um, have a moral component of sorts. People feel strongly from a moral standpoint. People don't like to have morality imposed upon them. it, It just strikes at the heart of our freedom of conscience. And where you have the federal government Dictating decisions such as this on the entire country, it makes everybody so darn angry because we feel powerless. Compare that with a state, Mississippi, a somewhat conservative state, making its decision based upon the culture, of its residents about something as important as abortion. If people are unhappy with that decision, the, the alternative is not revolution. You move. You move to New York or Illinois or a state that's more hospitable to your views and you live content as can be and not angry because you have a choice. When we have states with different sets of rules, each of us has a choice. We can vote with our feet, a more powerful way to vote than with our ballots, which mean nothing. But with our feet, we change our lives. And once you have an alternative, there's no reason to get angry. You hate high taxes in California? move to Nevada, move to Texas, move to Florida, and you're not angry anymore, and you have helped yourself. So, God, is it healthy for the country, for states to decide these issues? Everybody has a choice, nobody feels like a prisoner.
1: And the other issue at hand here, too, is that, you know, oftentimes it's difficult to to kind of <laughs> rely on Congress who has representatives, two from each state on the Senate side, and then, you know, apportioned according to the district size, the state side of population in the House. It's not always easy to get the United States Congress to pass a law that is palatable to people in all 50 states. However, generally speaking, a state on its own can pass a law based on what the majority population of that state is in favor of if you come to the conclusion that we don't like the way things are being done in relationship to a particular pardon me particular law in our own state as bob points out well you can vote with your feet that's one option pick up and move to a state that doesn't have that law that taxation whatever it might be or fancy this one get out there and vote and work to change the makeup of your respective state legislature to change those laws. And maybe that's one of the the important concepts here, um, our our voter participation in this government of, by, and for the people, as uh, Lincoln uh, suggested, that if we don't like something, um, seeing this return back to the states where it should have been in the first place, and allowing people in each state to make a decision... Um, is is probably the healthiest way that this, and quite frankly, most laws really ought to go down. You're you're exactly right.
3: And um, just, it's so healthy for people to have a choice. That's the difference, rather than feel powerless other than by moving to Canada or Mexico or some other country.
1: Bob's going to deal with these types of issues. He does so uh, very craftily and with uh, wonderful guests every Sunday morning at 8 o'clock on his program, The Bob Zadek Show. Um, If you're looking for a great alternative to some of the mindless um, chatter on television Sunday mornings, this is a great way to um, get a chance to hear from the newsmakers, lawmakers, and uh, bring some perspective for you, particularly from a historical viewpoint in relationship to exactly what the founding fathers were seeking to accomplish. The Bob Zadek Show, Sunday mornings, 8 o'clock, 860 a.m. The Answer and more information available on the web at BobZadek.com. That's B-O-B-Z-A-D-E-K. It's always a privilege and an education to have him join us, and uh, we're very fortunate to be able to spend some time together yet once again. There's Bob Zadek, 6 o'clock from KFAX.